Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jennifer White, and I am here with my sister extraordinaire, as always, Ellen Trackman. Hi. So, welcome, Ellen. Ellen. I don't know if you can hear it, but there is the the children and the remote school happening in the background in the house, But so I apologize. Well, that ties into my <clears throat> question, though. Oh, so, perfect. Um, I mean, and maybe this is the answer, and I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Uh, what, are, has life ever thrown you any major curveballs? <laughs> Never. No. Okay. Yes. Never. Everything's been perfect and gone to plan, right? Right. For the entire world, right, is for COVID. And, um, you know, none of us expected or most of us didn't expect to have to educate our children and try to do it by computers and support that. And it's definitely been been rough. And even I feel like I'm so frustrated where, you know, I'm trying to help a first grader. And I'm like, I don't understand what's next or how this works. And why can't I get this app to work? And why is the login not working? But right. um, of course, that doesn't even slightly compare to the curveball that was thrown at our next guest. But before we go to that, which is you yes. know the biggest curveball possible, what about you? Have you had um, oh, that situation? I, I mean, I could like count on fingers and toes, like the number of times I've had weird curveballs thrown at me. I mean, I'm married to a military member, so you have to remember that my life gets stranger and stranger by the minute sometimes. So I probably have too many stories about that, just about like, oh, we're going to move to this place. Like once we found out, we heard we were moving to Iceland and we were really excited about it. And then um, a week later, we found out we were moving to Alabama. So, you know, life throws curveballs and changes and, you know, I different know, wardrobe selections. I didn't even know Iceland was a choice. That's really interesting. You were almost yeah, going to that Iceland? that was our very, our very first oh, choice. Yeah. Wow. 20, more than 20 years ago, Ryan called me and said, we're moving to Iceland. And I was like, oh, that's terrifying. And I mean, it was terrifying. But by the time I got my brain around it, then he's like, oh, yeah, no, they changed it. We're going to Alabama instead. And that was more terrifying. <laughs> no, no. That was different kind of terrifying. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It just didn't involve a passport at that point. So yes, uh, my life has been full of, of curveballs. So COVID feels like we're just used to having to, you know, roll with things anyway. So it, it, it feels like just the rest of our life. Yeah. Well, today's guests, they, this was a huge curveball that they could not just roll with, that they had to fight with everything they could with a judge fighting against who they were. And the fact that they were parents, their child. So absolutely terrifying, um, but an incredible story and amazing their, their resilience and their action to fight for their family and for others. Welcome Jay Timmons and Rick Olson to the show. Jay and Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. Glad to be here. By way of a short introduction, I will say I have been writing on issues and assisted reproductive technology for a long time. And when I saw an article on your story, I was just like blown away that how could anything like this happen to anyone so horrific and unfair? And yet uh, it was. And now you guys are real people that <laughs> happened to real people. And we are so happy that you're here willing to tell that story. Absolutely. So, and unfortunately, it also happens to real children, which is absolutely. actually the, the worst part of the story. Right. No, excellent point. So before we completely dive into this story, do you want to give a little bit of background about who you were, who you are, where you were in your life at the start of all of this? Sure. Happy to do that. Um, 
we, um, you know, we're, we're older dads, uh, because we, uh, started building our family. Of course, later in life, it wasn't, um, wasn't legal for us to be married until, um, nationally until 2015. We were married though in California in 2008. Soon after we were married in California, we decided we wanted to start building our family. And, uh, we, we explored adoption, uh, where we were politely told that we could adopt in our home state of Virginia, but only if we lied on our application, we weren't allowed to say that we were married because Virginia at the time would, um, deny us the ability to, to, uh, raise children. And we just knew we weren't going to start a family uh, on the pretext of a lie. So we started investigating other types of uh, ways to build the family, and we discovered surrogacy. And we were matched with a wonderful woman in California, and uh, she uh, helped us build our family through four pregnancy attempts, two of which were successful and resulted in uh, singletons, uh, both girls, Catherine and, and Ellie born in uh, 2009 and 2011. So we thought we were done. Uh, we had all of our embryos were, were um, used and in, in those attempts, thought everything was good. We were built, we were happy family of four. And then a friend of Rick's uh, approached him and said that uh, they had also, she and her husband had, had uh, um, built their family through uh, ART and they had four children and they still had a few embryos. They knew that we were uh, very committed to the issue of life as they were, and they didn't want to destroy their embryos or see them destroyed. So they asked us if we'd consider, uh, accepting two of them and raising them, uh, as our children. So, and you hadn't really been thinking about expanding your family at that no, point. That... <laughs> no, we, were, we pretty much had our hands full we, with, well, uh, we had discussed two. it. We had yeah. discussed it actually yeah. at length because I knew Jay was very interested in having many children, not just mm. two. <laughs> but I think we both looked at each other and decided that because of our age, it probably wasn't wise to, to go through the entire ART process all over again. Yeah. So we had kind of come to the conclusion that we were a family of four and that was it. In, yeah. Can we, do you mind if we ask your age? Cause uh, I see you on uh, Facebook and social media and you don't, you look healthy and young. You don't look that yeah, we old. Put, we, we try to put the better Photoshop. pictures on there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we're 58 and Rick just turned 54. I'm 58. Rick just Got turned it. 54. Um, and at that time, so it's still, that's still a few years ago. Yeah, it was five years ago. Yeah. Five, almost six years ago. Right. So uh, I would have been 48 and Jay would have been 52. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, we, uh, we talked about it a lot, decided, yes, we would do that. And, uh, we went through the process, which in Virginia, which much to our dismay, transferring embryos. So is, we went through the process to decide to accept those mm-hmm. embryos from my friend and, and, and raise them as our own. Right. And where was your friend local to Virginia? Yeah. Yes. And just as background to listeners, you both live in Virginia currently and did at the time as well. Right? Yes. yes. We've been in Virginia for many years. As long as we've been together. Right. And we've been together for coming up on 30 years. But um, but yeah, we've been in Virginia together. Uh, so so the process in Virginia of, of obtaining those embryos, uh, we thought it would be kind of like an adoption. But actually in Virginia, embryos, I, and I guess I understand in other states too, embryos are considered property. So that 
quote unquote property, which we didn't care for that term or that designation, that legal legal designation, but the property was then transferred to us and they became, those two embryos became ours. We found another uh, surrogate in Wisconsin and uh, we did all the background checks. Uh, our, our attorney in Virginia is Colleen Quinn, who's exceptional. And uh, she checked all the states, 13, I believe, states, over 13 states came back to say that um, that we could have uh, both parents on the birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was important at the time because that was before the Supreme Court decision that legalized marriage equality, mm-hmm. just a few months before. But still, we didn't know what was coming. Uh, we went through the process. We were uh, declared uh parents um, on an interim basis by a judge in Wisconsin, Sarah O'Brien. Actually, ironically, the day before that Supreme Court decision on marriage equality. Oh, wow. And about a week later, after our marriage was the law of the land and we were Mm -hmm. legal in Virginia, another judge, a guy named uh, Jim Trupas, was appointed uh, to the bench and he kind of swooped in, took our case. You know, he said, "Look, I don't like the look of this. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna review it. We're gonna bring in, um, we're gonna bring in a guardian ad litem, and um, that was not really the precedent in Dane County, Wisconsin, for surrogacy and cases. From before you even started in Wisconsin with great attorneys like Colleen, just to kind of review the situation, Wisconsin had always appeared like a great state for surrogacy, right? That even well, though they don't." Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, not only a great state, but there was actually Supreme Court precedent there mm-hmm. um, on issues like uh, like we faced. And it was very clear that contracts were binding and parental intended parental rights were considered binding. So there was no issue really in Wisconsin, or so we thought. Yes. And, okay, uh, so the villain enters, wants a guardian ad litem, then what? Yep. And then the guardian ad litem was appointed about a few days before Jacob was born. And uh, he immediately started, well, really harassing us. Um, And for those who don't know at this point, a guardian ad litem is an attorney appointed to represent the child. So representative of your child. So he starts harassing you? So, Well, when he was appointed, we were were notified, our attorney was notified that he was appointed. And we immediately reached out to him through our attorney and said, we're ready to be interviewed by you at any time. Let us know, um, either with or without our attorney, we'll make ourselves available. And yeah, then, great. Jay, go ahead. Yeah, so then we um, uh, we tried to reach out. He didn't want to talk to us, but he started asking very, um, uh, I don't know, they were just really awful questions. Um, oh, like what kind of questions? Um, you know, I can't even remember. They were so bad. That's It's been so long ago. But, but uh, you know, he, he was trying to find out all kinds of stuff. And, and he demanded that there be a blood test for the baby. Paternity this, test. Uh, paternity test for the surrogate, uh, the surrogate's husband, which, you know, that that was a little off-putting, but we were okay with that. Well, all, but, it, but his questioning and, and that was set the tone of how he was going to approach this. For sure. And then he just, he demanded that we not leave Wisconsin until this was settled and so Rick had to actually. Were you stuck in Wisconsin? 
Well, Rick actually, we had taken the whole family there. Rick's mother mm -hmm. came in uh, for the birth of the baby and um, from California. And we were there for two weeks before we had to make a decision. Rick needed to actually take the girls back to Virginia in order to start school. That was I was wondering. So was I was going to say, how old are the girls? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so they were five and four. Yeah, Catherine was starting kindergarten, kindergarten that fall. Yeah. And so he was born August 17th. School started a couple weeks later. Um, and so we decided that they had to get home. So we decided I would drive the kids home with my mother, the girls home with my mother. And Jay stayed in Wisconsin with Jacob. In this, During this time, we signed a contract to lease an apartment for six months. We, wow. um, I called my office and told my office I was probably not going to be coming back to work for an extended period of time. And thankfully, they were very generous. Um, but the intention was I'd drive the kids home with my mother, leave them there with my mother, the girls. And then I'd go back to Wisconsin um, and stay with Jacob, meet up with Jay and Jacob. So meanwhile, I was our surrogate was a wonderful woman, and her her husband's an awesome guy, and they have uh, they had three kids at home at the time. Um, they had a refurbished bedroom in their attic where Jacob and I stayed for a couple of weeks um, uh, while we were waiting for the judge to make a determination if we could leave the state. And during this time, the guardian was just firing harassing question after harassing question. Finally, he agreed to depose us. He would not interview us. It's typical, as you know, Ellen, that and Jen, that that, yeah. that an attorney yeah. will interview you for a couple hours and write a report. Uh, but he refused to do that. We had to be deposed. The judge ordered us to pay all of his fees. Um, and we've, we, of course, were hiring other lawyers. Uh, we ended up at one point, we were paying like 12 lawyers. And wow. um, we ended up finally getting the judge to release us from the state. And, he had, and what is finally? How long was that? What's that? What is finally? How long was that? Uh, it was about three weeks, I think. Oh. And we had power of attorney from the surrogate, which, of course, is in effect for a year in case there's any issues. No one have ever, would have ever thought an issue like this. The judge took away that power of attorney and he slapped on a temporary custody order. So he had his hooks in our son um, from the start. We, we thankfully were able to take him home to Virginia. But this continued, and, I, and I'll shorten the story, but I mean, it continued for, for months. We petitioned to um, um, withdraw the case and go seek traditional adoption, which is what the uh, the, the guardian had suggested that he wanted. Finally, he came around to agreeing to do that. The judge denied that. Uh, went on and on and on. The judge kept making us pay more and more money to the guardian. Uh, eventually, those fees were over $100,000 just for the guardian. Um, another, you know, $400,000 for legal expenses to others. I was going to say, you still have to pay your own attorneys on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we got to the point, it was January 11th, I remember the date, where there was a, um, there was a hearing. Um, so this is now, what, five months later. There was a hearing, and the judge basically said, uh, he called in our attorneys. Now, keep in mind, we've never met the judge. The judge never wanted to see us. So our attorney goes in. 
Um, the guardian goes in, the case is argued. We thought there would be a resolution. The judge says, you know, I don't really feel like, uh, ruling on this now. I'm getting ready to go on a vacation for two months to Hawaii. It's a guy what? that's on the bench for a grand total of six months and he's taking a two month vacation. And he said, I'll let you know when I'm ready. And he goes away, he ends up coming back a month early, but still no resolution all of a sudden, March the 30th. Um, so nine months later, um, I guess seven months after Jacob was born, uh, nine months after our original ruling, he comes back and he makes a ruling. And the ruling was that he took away our parental rights. Uh, he branded us human traffickers. He took away the parental rights of the surrogate and he deliberately left Jacob an orphan and a ward of the state. All of that said, he still left intact the temporary custody order. But you know, as you might guess, for the entire time, the entire however many months that was, every single night, literally every night, one of us would wake up at two in the morning. The other would wake up. We'd sit there worrying if somebody was going to be knocking on our door the next day to take away our child. We didn't have a good night's sleep. Rick had to manage all these lawyers. The bills were, were racking up. We took out three mortgages on our house. Um, I was no longer working. Yeah. So Rick had to quit his job just to manage the lawyers. Um, I mean, how do you brand someone a human trafficker? Like, okay, you're, you guys are human traffickers, but you guys, the baby will just stay with you for now. Like, so what? that was kind of the paradox, right? Um, and you know, was it part of it that he also was like, but you're all, and you're also great parents from what I can see. So he, uh, he put in his ruling actually right after he branded as human traffickers. He also said we were great parents and Jacob had hit the jackpot, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> but he wanted to make a, philosophical point, I think a moral point on his view of, uh, you know, of, of not only surrogacy, but I, I believe um, of same-sex families. And I think he just wanted to make a point, make it difficult. And in fact, the Guardian in his report, which by the way, was not a four or five page report, which is typical, it was 272 pages. Oh, wow. And part of that was branding us or, or labeling us as uh, um, attempting to, to to impose Plato's view of a perfect society where government divides children from their parents. I mean, it was a, it was, oh. it was a whole slew of nutbag. You know? Wow. Wow. So uh, anyway, that's the, that's the, that's the story of how it, how it uh, happened. And then thankfully um, he made an excuse and we, we were aware that he was getting a lot of pressure because our case was public. As soon as he, made that ruling. Um, a lot of people were coming down on him for, for being frankly crazy. And, yeah. uh, he was getting some, some, uh, I think some input from different elected, uh, uh, leaders in the state. And he finally resigned. Now he used an excuse that his mother, unfortunately had, had recently passed away and he needed to deal with her estate. She was 90 some years old and think he probably had that in line by then, but that was his excuse. Uh, the day he resigned, uh, he applied for a Supreme Court judgeship, which was a little hmm. humorous. How did, how did he have yeah. time when he was taking care of I was going to say, he's so busy state. dealing with He was with very, very state. busy, and uh, but that was important. So actually, the resignation became a story in itself. So we had the right to ask for a rehearing 
um, or a reconsideration up to 20 days after he made the ruling. And when he resigned, he specifically told, he let the governor's office know he was resigning and he told them he was only going to resign um, 40 days later because he didn't want us to have a chance to, to be able to have the case reconsidered. Wow. So the good news for us was when he resigned, um, uh, we immediately up, uh, applied for reconsideration to the same court. Now it's a vacancy. So it was reassigned to another judge who accepted the reconsideration on uh, the grounds of manifest error of the law. You can't just leave a kid, you know, an orphan. You can't take away somebody's parental rights who doesn't ask them to be taken away unless there's some grave, grievous situation. So he took away the rights of the surrogate um, and our temporary rights. So uh, we had it reconsidered. The judge, the new judge, uh, immediately overturned it. Well, it took a couple months, but he overturned it, called the troopers ruling weird and faulty and a few other choice words. <laughs> and uh, we ended up with our parental rights intact. He at the same time dismissed the guardian, which was uh, that alone was, was really good news. Now, in the meantime, the Guardian is still appealing um, and and trying to get this thing uh, uh, resettled. So we well, and still the, has how many in med and I'm not in medical bills in legal fees as well, right? I mean, just yeah. just dismissing them doesn't make that stuff go away. Including the Guardian's legal fees, which we were required yeah. to pay. So it, it kept um, building. We, he went to the appeals court. The Guardian did. They went to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. They oh, wow. it back to the district court. Um, when that judge was going to make a ruling on fees, the guardian's fees in particular, mm-hmm. uh, the guardian at the very last minute asked for a substitute judge, which he was entitled to do under Wisconsin law. So now we started all over again. And we had a, another, uh, another judge, another judge we had to tell our whole case to again. And uh, we got to the point where this thing just went back and forth. It ended up going, uh, he, this judge gave us a fairly good ruling and then it ended up in the appeals court again and potentially the Wisconsin Supreme Court again. Um, but finally, this all got worked out and we got it back about 85% of the fees that the Guardian charged because the court said that they were uh, not appropriate and yeah. that the ruling was not appropriate. Wow. And I think when I heard you guys talk a few years ago, that was still going up and down and pending. So at this point, is everything settled finally? So, so the financial part of it is settled. Um, and and I, I, I'm not exactly sure what I can and can't say publicly, but let's just say that we got to a point last January, so a year ago, where we said, look, you know, this isn't about money for us. It never has been. This has always been about making sure that people understand what happened to shine light on this. So other judges don't try to do this to other families. Yeah. Um, so we didn't particularly care if we cared if we got a dollar back. Uh, what we cared about was we cared about having um, the powers that be in this case, the guardian, because the judge had had resigned and could not be could not be touched because he did resign yeah. disgracefully as I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just said, look, we, we, we really need there to be some sort of an acknowledgement that this really wasn't 
appropriate or fair. So yeah. uh, that's really never come from any quarter um, other than the judge saying this was the, the new judge, the latest judge, I should say. Saying, saying it was weird. Was, and, yeah. yeah, was saying that this was inappropriate and, and, and ordering around, I guess, about 85% of our fees to be, to be returned. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've used that to, we've used the story to tell others and to warn others. Um, the fees that we were able to get back, we, we tried to donate to, to charities that would, uh, you know, be standing, standing up for same sex families in mm-hmm. situations like ours. Uh, because we really think that this is this should never happen to another to another family. Another thing that we did is is we got the law changed in Virginia, our home state, so that what happened to us in Wisconsin could never happen to another same sex family in Virginia. Uh, and in that's fact, that's huge. Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. How did you change the law in Virginia? What was it before, and what did it become? Well, so there were um, there were laws that. Uh, a few years ago, didn't even allow same-sex couples to adopt. Those, those were changed, thankfully, administratively. But uh, surrogacy laws were such that uh, a same-sex couple could not, um, you know, they, they, they could not engage in surrogacy and both be on the uh, birth certificate. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, neither could somebody who was single. You couldn't, you couldn't be single and have a child through surrogacy. So... Uh, our legislator, a guy named Rip Sullivan, who's just a tremendous human being, um, heard about our case, asked us if he could introduce a bill or said he was going to introduce a bill and ask if we would like to testify, but said, gosh, you don't have to if you want to keep this quiet. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really us. We want to tell this story. <laughs> so we worked um, through the legislature that was uh, both the House and the Senate were Republican control. Rick and I both had contacts through our work uh, with Republican politicians in the past. And so we, we had conversations uh, about, about this bill. Um, we believed the bill was not only uh, pro-family and pro-equality, but it was also pro-life. Because what we were talking about was we were talking about potentially rescuing embryos from potential destruction. Because that's, that's what we did. I mean, those embryos that, that my friend gave us were likely to have just been frozen for eternity until they couldn't afford it and they would have probably been destroyed. Right. So I think that's a really interesting perspective and I would love to just expand on it a little sure. bit because I think so often we see a political divide that tends to be that Republicans are not those in favor of surrogacy. So in New York, they've been fighting for years to reverse the law saying that surrogacy is not permitted and they did succeed ultimately. Um, But really in that fight, Republicans tended to be anti-surrogacy. Can you share, I mean, because it's amazing that you guys are both like firmly within the party and supportive and pro-surrogacy. Do you mind expanding how you feel that that is completely consistent? Yeah, look, I, <laughs> I, I personally think that um, uh, building a family, um, bringing, bringing children into the world is about the most pro-life, pro-family, um, pro-American thing <laughs> that yeah. you can do, right? I mean, I, I, I don't even, I can't even see the other side of this, which was why it was so disheartening, I think, for, for both of us when people that we'd known for years um, voted no on this bill. Um, So I will say that every Democrat voted yes. 
they were they were 100 behind it. We had one third of the uh, House Republicans and one half of the Senate Republicans vote for it. But I have to tell you, it was a it was a it was an uh, just a game of back and forth for for weeks because uh, the chair of uh, or the I should say the at the time the majority leader uh, tried to impose some legislative chicanery and get the bill killed that way. And thankfully we had a good group of people who stood up for us and they took some shots from their fellow Republicans on this and they didn't, and, and they acknowledged that, that the bill would help to save embryos. But for them, the issue was really um, much more about equality for, for gay couples. And that was something that they just couldn't countenance. Comments. Mm. And and so it really was eye opening, I think, that that these supposed um, um, Christian conservatives, which, by the way, I would probably classify yeah. us as yeah. uh, these Christian conservatives would say, well, um, you know what? We've been talking about life now for the last what is it? Almost 50 years. Um, but that's going to come secondary because we really don't want to do anything to recognize um, equality for, for gay Virginians. Oh. That's just not acceptable. <sighs> now they wouldn't say that out loud, but that's, that's what they did. You know, there's no question about that, but here's the good news. The good news is this thing passed. The governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam came to Northern Virginia to sign the bill at our son's preschool, which is in a Methodist church, by the way, oh. signed the bill into law last year. And the bill was known as Jacob's law. After our song. I love that. And I've seen a picture that we'll definitely have to post to our website when this episode (laughs) goes up. It's very sweet. So, you know, uh, there, there are some silver, silver linings here. Another silver lining is the number of people I think that have become aware that regardless of what the state's laws or state's judicial precedents are, one judge can, can, can really make your life miserable if he doesn't agree with your lifestyle. If he doesn't agree with, with who you're married to. And that's really not what family law should be about. Right. And I, to be very open, I know I, I mentioned this when I begged you guys to come on our podcast that here where I am in Colorado, we had um, surrogacy supportive legislation proposed and it really was just codifying best practices. And really I got a lot of, heard a lot of pushback of, well, everything's working, like everything's fine. Why would you need a bill? I mean, even internally within those who work closely with surrogacy, like, don't do this, everything's fine. But I guess my fear is your story that, that any judge, you know, without having set law in the state that things might be fine, but Wisconsin was a hundred percent fine until one judge decided they felt differently and the, the law didn't necessarily stop them from doing it. Um, when you tell people like your advice to try to avoid this, what, what is that advice? Well, I go to Wisconsin. Right. You didn't, you did all the, you did all the checking beforehand. Well, look, I, I say I, that in jest, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, I mean, first of all, you tell somebody the story and the, I don't know, the first five minutes you're explaining, really, we're not joking. Like this, right? There's on the floor waiting for them to pick it back up. Yes. Yeah, and you start showing them all the news articles, the USA Today article. You know, all the all the things that that you went through. Um, but I, 
the the first piece of advice is always to get good legal advice, right? I mean, it's it's, but there's never going to be a hundred percent guarantee that a judge is going to follow the law. It just there just isn't, and you got to be prepared for that. Um, I've never heard of anything like this before. I mean, Ellen, you told me you when you and I met, you, you told me you'd never heard anything like I this. I have not, and, no. And most people have not. But um, since this has happened to us and since we've become so public about it, I've gotten a lot of notes from folks that that say, hey, by the way, this has happened to us. Or, and they just didn't have the means or the interest to be public about it and really fight it. Is that? I think a lot of people are afraid to be public. Um I think they're afraid that that a judge will will somehow figure out a way to come back on them and take their child away or something. And and, and actually, we think the judge was trying to do a couple of things. One, I, I think he believed that that um, in his head that same sex relationships were somehow different than traditional relationships, and that that this would cause us. He kept referring to us as men of means, which I found <laughs> rather funny. Um, but, but that somehow was supposed to make us different and that with this type of, uh, stress in our lives, we would, we would somehow no longer be together and, and he would show the world that these relationships are just sham relationships. That was just a gut feeling. Of course, he never said anything like that. Um, having said that, (laughs) this really only brought us even more closely together. I don't think you could have been together 30 years. As I said, I don't think you're, you get to to uh, much more of a strong relationship than that, but he actually helped succeed in, in creating that. And I think the other thing Thank that he you. was trying to right. what's that? <laughs> Thank, you, Thank you, Judge, for bringing yeah. me closer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, I think the other thing he was trying to do, um, my job is is kind of a high-profile job. It's very, um, very much a, politi- a, a politically-centered job. Uh, I work with politicians of both parties at the federal level. And I think he was betting that we would be too afraid to be public, that we would never tell our story because somehow that might come back on me um, in the public domain. Well, he probably should have done a little bit more research on me because (laughs) in addition to the fact that the job is high profile, I'm very much an advocate. That is what my job is, is to be an advocate. And I don't think there's anything more important to advocate for than families. And uh, He's got an answer to that for this. Um, never has he talked about it, by the way, but um, it's certainly been out there in the public domain. And and my suggestion to anybody who's getting into this, if you run into a problem, have people be ready to advocate for you publicly. Figure out a way to make sure it's a public story, because I don't think any judge wants to be embarrassed like this guy was. Are there organizations that people can turn to or that you found supportive if this situation happened to someone else they could think about or contact? Um, That's a great question. Let me start with the good news. The good news is there's a group called the Family Equality Council that we've worked with um, Mm -hmm. that we became highly impressed with. Um, We didn't ask them to come to our rescue or to, to, to provide legal help. What we did was we went to them and said, look, we know that others are going to go through a rough time. We have access to resources. As I said, we mortgaged our house several times just to get the resources to pay the lawyers. But there's going to be others that can't do that. So we asked them if we could set up a fund um, at the Family Equality Council oh, wow. to uh, help others and to help 
um, to help get state laws changed uh, in this regard. And so they set up Jacobs Fund uh, at the Family Equality Council, and we've, we've, we're very high on them. There were a couple other very high-profile organizations. I'm not going to name them because I don't think that's appropriate. But we immediately went to them and said, hey, could you think about a, a, um, an amicus brief or could you think about weighing in or, or helping us with some legal strategy? And unfortunately, their, their very nice uh, replies to us were, yeah, maybe when the case gets a little bit more high profile. Oh, wow. Oh. So we uh, were very choosy <laughs> about, about the organizations that we support. And, yeah. Uh, well, I will say for listeners, uh, Tristan Reese, who is formerly with Family Equality Council, was on our show. So we, we yeah, love him as well. And we, yeah, we really like Family Equality Council. Good. Well, they have been, uh, they've been tremendous and they're, and they're fighters. I mean, they, they, they get stuff done, which is great. Yeah. So are you still, so you're still fighting out there. You're still out there doing what you can. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, look, we, again, we don't want to see this happen to anybody. Um, it is absolutely, besides having a child who's ill um, with, a, with a serious uh, medical condition or, or a learning, dis- you know, a severe learning disability, I don't think that there's anything that could be this much of a gut punch. Um, to go literally years, uh, it, was a, it was a four-year battle. And much of that was, was kind of cloaked in the uncertainty of whether the child that we were raising would be a part of our family permanently. I mean, you think about, think about going to bed every night and having a conversation because you can't sleep and you're saying, what if the worst happens? How do we tell our daughters that their brother is no longer a part of the family? And how were you dealing with that? Did you tell them much about what was going on during that time? Well, so this is like bad parenting 101. So, <laughs> we, you know, we tried to keep it from them, right? We didn't want them to, to think about it. They were so young um, and, and we didn't want them to have to deal with it. Well, after we got the parental rights back, um, I guess this was almost... Three years. A year after we got the parental rights back, yeah. Right. It was probably two or so years after it began, maybe three years after yeah. it began. We were invited by the Family Equality Council to tell our story to a group of donors um, in California. And uh, Rick's family's out there, so we, we flew everybody out. But right before we left, I looked at Rick and I said, oh, no, we haven't told the girls and they're going to be on stage with us yeah. when they're telling this story, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so you didn't know was going on. Yeah. So we decided, okay, uh, we better tell them. So we told them at the dinner table and you know, it's just, it's just like on cue, our daughters reacted as they react to everything to this day. Um, our oldest Catherine, um, she just started sobbing. And she said, why would anybody want to take our brother away? Why, why is, how's that happening? She came over, she got on my lap, and she was just heaving for 20 minutes, I think. Oh, wow. Meanwhile, Ellie is just looking straight ahead, eating, continuing to eat. And then when Catherine settled down, she looked over and she says, Daddy, now let me get this straight. Exactly when 
did the judge make this ruling? And exactly when did Jacob finally become our brother? <laughs> so she's very, um, she's very fact-based, right? And, yeah. And analytical. So, but uh, we, that, that, that was how we ended up telling them. And to this day, we still have this conversation and we, we have not, we've not uh, kept it from Jacob. We want him to know the story. And obviously he was sitting on the governor's lap when <sighs> the governor signed Jacob's law and he's actually helping him sign it, had his hand on the pen. Um, so, so we want them to know, we don't want them to be frightened that it could happen uh, again, but we think it's important that they know the story. They know they've always known the story of, of their birth and that they're a product of surrogacy. This is just yet another wrinkle in, in that in that story. Yeah. And where are the characters in the story now? So the judge, for one, so he applied for the Supreme Court in Wisconsin after he resigned. Uh, is he on the Wisconsin Supreme Court? No, he actually, um, there was uh, like a two-round process in Wisconsin. He didn't make it through round one. Um, and uh, I think he's... You know, I, 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 from what I understand, he's not exactly the the um, most popular uh, guest at a cocktail party these days. If you could have one with social distancing, but um, <laughs> actually, it was it's interesting. From what I've heard, uh, people were social distancing from him uh, long before the pandemic ever hit um, because of his <laughs> reputation. Um, I mean, the Guardian, so he didn't become like a a hero to those who follow this extreme stance well you know i don't i've never heard anybody quote the guy or say anything positive about him since this all happened so yeah. um I, I think if there were those who and, and look i have to say i have been approached by a ton a ton rick and i both heard from a ton of highly conservative um evangelical christians mm -hmm. who say this was wrong this should never have happened. You should never hold a child hostage. And, and, and I hope, and I think it's true, that our example has maybe opened some eyes. I know it's true. I've had people come to me and say, look, we, I, I have to tell you, I haven't been a fan of, of gay marriage. I haven't been really the person out there saying that anybody should be able to adopt if they're gay, but you've changed your family's changed my mind. Mm. Um, I've had politicians say that. And so, so that's a, you know, that's another silver lining to this, but I think that they look at that guy and say, this should have never happened. This was, this was all voluntary. He did this all on his own. I mean, our parental rights were established and he took them away. Like this was not necessary. Right. The guardian of Lydum is still practicing. Um, his name's Mark Knudsen. He's in, uh, in the Milwaukee area. Um, and you know, I, I, I have a funny feeling that in some other world or some other life, you know, we might've actually been civil to each other. Yeah. Um, um, we had a chance to meet in person in January of last year. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but I have a feeling he's probably sorry he ever took the call from judge Jim Troopas and got involved in this case. Oh. So you did meet in person in January? We met one time in person in January. Well, no, and we, we met him when he deposed us. Oh, well, that's too. true. We met him when oh. he deposed us. This, this is the guardian. 
Yeah. Not the judge. We never met the judge. We've only met the guardian a couple times. And was it civil? Was it how how did that go? Yeah, it was civil because we business oriented, especially the deposition. The deposition early on was very business oriented, but the meeting last January, that was when we thought it would be best to come to a resolution, but we were not able to do so. Got it. I see. Oh, um, and how are the kids? Kids are doing great. Although, you know, with social distancing, uh, Rick's learning, Rick's learning how to be a, a, a teacher. Uh, As we a, all are. Yeah. <laughs> very well. Once. What's that? Of three different grades all at once. Well, we have a rising fifth grader, a rising fourth grader and a rising. So Jacob is, Jacob is our little mighty mouse. So, uh, uh, because he was born late in the in the year, well, relatively speaking, for the school year, um, and uh, was not exactly the the tallest kid in the class, we decided to hold him back a year. So he's starting the fours in preschool right now. Yeah, he'll do mm-hmm. kindergarten next fall, not this fall. Yeah, and so they're all doing great, and they uh, they all want to go back to regular school. Unfortunately, we can't get there. <laughs> right. We just need everybody to wear masks all across the country and social distance, and maybe we can get this economy going and get the schools open and and uh, return to some sense of normalcy again. That would be fantastic. My my four children would appreciate it as well, <laughs> as with my one. Yes. <laughs> uh, any la- I, this is amazing. We we really appreciate you sharing your story and all of the incredible work that you've done. Anything that we didn't touch on that you would love to to share or think important to to get out there? Look, I, I would say that um, most people in this country, understandably have absolutely no idea what what uh, family law is all about and how to how to care for children through foster and adoption or to bring children into the world through surrogacy um, I find it ironic that someone can you know meet by random in a bar and 24 hours later you know a baby is is on the way and those folks can have parental rights without question, but when two people try to bring a child into the world by saving an embryo from destruction, somehow their motives are questioned and a half million dollars later and, you know, uh, absolute gut-wrenching uh, um, days and nights for months uh, is, have, you know, ha- have those intentions questioned. So I, I think it's important that everybody who assumes they know what the law is, um, how the process works, find out and familiarize themselves and make sure that they're advocating to their state legislatures and their uh, state health departments for easy and understandable adoption, foster adoption and surrogacy laws and regulations in their state. Because there's nothing more important than families there's nothing more important than raising children in healthy environments. And uh, uh, I don't think we're doing a great job about that as a country. So it's, it's worth looking into. And I encourage everybody to, uh, to be a part of, of advocating for the kids. Yeah. Well said. Well, thank you. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jen. Thank you, thank you Ellen. It was good to be here. 
Thank you so much to Jay and Rick for joining us. Um, given all that they do, raising three kids, um, incredibly you know important jobs and advocating, I just feel absolutely honored that they were able to take the time and join us and tell their story. Right. I, it was so incredible. So I really appreciate their openness and <laughs> willingness to help others through these <laughs> scary times, right? Oh, so, but you can help us as well if you would choose to by going to iTunes and leaving us a review. Uh, we always love to hear from people. Uh, give us a call at 303-997-1903 and reach out, leave us a message. Uh, I, I know I owe somebody a call back, so I promise I call people back when you leave a message for us, but uh, <laughs> we do get the messages and really appreciate hearing from people. Um, and of course, we appreciate our team who is makes us sound wonderful, look wonderful. Uh, thanks to Amanda, to Tyler, and of course to Chris at Work at Bird Studios and to you, all of you who listen to us. We really appreciate that you you join us every week. Thank you. 